You ready to get in the word this morning? Come on, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter two is where we will be today. And I'm excited to kick off a new collection of messages on relationships. And um, don't really have a title for the next month, but just know we need to talk about relationships. About a year ago, I wanted to preach on dating and marriage and all that. And I just felt like God told me, no, just chill out on that stuff. Just wait a second. And uh, as of recently, I feel like it's an appropriate time. So Genesis chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 18. All right, Genesis, if you got it, say, I got it. If you need a moment, say moment. Genesis is in your Bible. It's the first book. Okay, you can find it. Genesis chapter two. Starting in verse 18. Hmm. Here is the word of the Lord. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it in its place with flesh. And that rib, the Lord took that he had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And all the men said, amen. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. I wanna draw your attention back to verse 24 as we uh, talk a little bit about marriage. Funny how marriage is getting more and more of a controversial subject to preach on. Verse 24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling is one translation. Hold fast is this one to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I wanna talk to you about relationships today. And uh, particularly I wanna title this message, Seeds in the Garden. Seeds in the Garden. If you're taking notes, write that down at the top of your message. I think we got some outlines printed, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, you guys got them good. If you need one, lift your hand. Someone will get an outline to you so you can follow along this morning. But let's pray. Seeds in the garden. Father, thank you. Help us today. Open our hearts today to the creation story. You're the creator. So today we look to you for guidance and wisdom. We love you. We bless you. We honor this time we have together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn to somebody next to you. Say, I got some seed today. I got some seed today. If they didn't smile at you, turn to somebody else and say, I got seed today. I got seed today. Ladies and gentlemen, we find ourselves in the beginning portions of the Holy Bible. Uh, many Christians today know that the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It includes so much important narrative. It tells us about Abraham. It tells us about Isaac. We learn about Noah. We learn about Joseph. We learn about all these important characters. But at the very beginning of the story, we learn about the most important character, that is the creator. We learn that God is a little different than most people think he is. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, that God actually spoke everything into existence. 
The Bible says that all God had to do was say, let there be light, and molecules started coming together. The Bible says he looked at the earth, and it was formless and void, and he took days, he took six days to create everything. You know, he, he spoke, and, and the Bible says that the, the water on the sea came to be, and he spoke, and then the land came together, and he spoke, and the heavens were formed. The Bible says animals were spoken by the mouth of God. That his, his words are so powerful that when he would speak, something would happen. That's why Christians believe what we say really matters. That how we speak about things really matters because we're created in God's image. And so how he speaks is how we want to speak. Okay, so he speaks everything into existence. And then he gets to day six. And when God gets to day six, the Bible says he, he, he makes man. And here's what's different about man, okay? Animals got spoken. Stars were spoken. But the Bible says when God made man, he actually took his hands and he put it on the dust of the ground. I want you to think about this. Everything else gets his voice, but when you and I were made, he literally put his hands on creation. The book of Psalms says he has to stoop down. That's how high and mighty he is. That when he wants to get in touch with us, he stoops down. And it says he formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into him eternal life. And when he breathed into him, man became a living soul. And it's in that moment we see that men, is, men and women are distinguished from other things. That God loved you so much, he didn't just say something to you, but he put his hands on you. And remember the first time that God touched your life? Remember that first time you heard a message or that first time in worship, maybe you just experienced something or maybe you saw someone get healed or maybe you lost a loved one or maybe you fell into something, but it caused you to remember God wants to get close to your life. All these other religions tell you what you got to do and how you got to get to God, but the gospel is the message about how God came to you. He didn't wait for you to get ready. He didn't wait till you were cleaned up. He didn't wait till you were off drugs. He said, if you're willing, I want to touch your life. And too often we wait when he's the one saying, I'm waiting on you. So man was created in that moment and, and everything was good. Day one, God said, it's good. Day two, three, four, five, six, he says, it's good. There was one thing that he said wasn't good. One thing that he did that he actually reflected on, it was like, oh, actually this isn't good. And we read it in verse 18. It says, it's not good that the man should be alone. And so he creates woman for him. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context here before I go into kind of the message. When, when you read that word, I believe it was uh, in verse 18, it says, it is not good man should be alone. If you put that back up, catch with me. Verse 18 says, I will make a helper that is fit for him. Uh, the Hebrew here, the word could also be translated comparable. Uh, the, 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 word is, the word is not exact, but it's basically saying, I want to make someone that's kind of like him, but not him. Watch me closely now, okay? Remember, he brought every animal in front of God, in front of Adam. And he says, Adam, why don't you name all these animals? You see that monkey? Ooh, ooh, ah, that's a monkey. You see that hippo? That's a hippo. You see that bird up in the sky? That's a hawk. That's an eagle. That's a hawk. That's a pigeon. And what Adam named is what the animals were. But after he saw every animal that God had created, there was still something missing. And so God made him someone that is kind of like him, but opposite him. The binaries are right there. He created the sun and the moon. He created the light and the darkness, the land and the sea. He created man and woman. Yep. Say amen. amen. 
Okay, it's very clear from the jump that God knew that man needed someone. And thank God, he created woman. Ladies, if you ever feel down on yourself, remind yourself, you are the answer to the first problem. There was something missing and God said, you know what, I need a woman to come into this thing. I'm gonna preach it, y'all. I need someone to come alongside, man. It was in my life when I was uh, 21 years old, I met Jesus for the first time. Didn't grow up in church. Wasn't really a religious person. Didn't, you know, I believe in something. How many know people like that? They believe in something. Maybe, maybe it's God, maybe it's just something. And I met Jesus at a dark time of my life and uh, after getting involved in church, meeting some great friends, the first time I met Randy. And I wanna show you the first time we met in 2012, we were at some volunteer event. Five guys, burgers and fries. And uh, I got invited to this event and Randy was there. She was a worship leader at the church. She was a youth leader at the church. And I was like an ex-drug addict, you know, come on somebody. And you know, here I am now like hanging out with all these Christians and Randy and I developed a connection. Now we weren't like hanging out by ourselves. We were hanging out with groups of people. We were getting around other people and we were realizing like, oh wow, we like each other. Oh wow, this could be something. How many remember courting? Remember courting, anybody? Look, all the older folks say, oh yeah, we lost that. Now it's just like, you wanna hook up? You know, that's what it's, like we started courting. We had people in our life that were asking us, what do you think, what are your intentions? And all along the way, our, our story uh, began to grow. Today, here's a picture of our family. Eight years we've been married. And Randy's facial expressions have gotten better. But I, I wanna go back to that picture, the first one. How, how, how does a couple go from here, go to the next one, to this? How, how do you start off a relationship with somebody? What did it take to go from one level of knowledge of someone to now actually wanting to serve them and spend the rest of the, your life with them? Uh, relationships aren't about what you can get out of them. When you're ready to make a decision that someone should be in your life, whether it's a spouse or a significant other, or you're, you're starting to find interest in somebody, you must remember that being in a relationship is not just about taking. That the most healthiest relationships are actually the one where two people are committed to serving each other and are committed to pushing along what God wants to do in their life. In the book of Genesis, we see God's union for marriage. That's why the Bible says man leaves his mother and father and he holds fast to his wife because the closest picture to our love for God and his love for us is marriage. It's a covenant commitment between two people. It's not about, you know, just saying the right things. Marriage is about being two people that don't wanna give up on each other. And uh, today I wanna talk a little bit about it, okay? When you think about the Garden of Eden, I got this kind of idea of it. A garden is a cultivated environment that produces something. A garden is a place where you set the environment for what you're trying to grow and maybe fruit, maybe vegetables. But the reality is your garden is an environment that you control. Now, sometimes people get into the garden. You know, at my house, I got these little squirrels. They'll just pop up. One day, uh, one guy was at my house and he heard this like tapping. And he's like, I think you got squirrels like up in your attic. I'm like, there's no way squirrels got in there. Sure enough, they'd gone through the garden, up the chimney, into the attic. Jesus, help me. You know what I mean? Like... But I just started realizing, okay, just because I have a garden doesn't mean that there's some things that'll try to get into it. I could say the same thing about marriage. Marriage is like a garden. Marriage is a cultivated environment that produces fruit. Well, Billy, I'm not married, I'm single. Great, you need this just as much as people that are married. 
Well, maybe you're here today and you're divorced and you say, I was married, but I'm not anymore. Great. You need these principles in your life regardless. It doesn't matter if we're talking about our jobs or we're talking about our careers, we're talking about our families or our marriages. We have to cultivate a healthy environment so that something can grow. Okay, I was talking to someone recently and they were just saying, you know, I wish that it could just kind of start over. And they were talking about their marriage and they were saying, you know, sometimes I just wish like maybe if I just were to move and maybe if I were to just marry somebody else, this would be easier. And, and I love when people think marriage is easy. It's a commitment. It's a sacrifice. But, but, but I want to encourage you this morning, the grass isn't greener on the other side. There is a responsibility. You have to water your own grass. That sometimes even in our personal lives, we think if I could just get over there, if I could just go to that church, if I could just get this job, if I could just go to this school, and, and we, we kind of wish that we could just kind of work with something else, and I'd like to challenge you this morning and say, maybe God wants you to work with what you got. Maybe sometimes it's not about escaping what's hard. Maybe it's about tending to and cultivating what you have. Jesus talked about farming a lot. He, a lot of his parables, he would talk about farming. You know, he'd be walking with his disciples one day, and he'd look over at a field, and they would say, what's the kingdom of heaven like? And he would say, you know, it's kind of like a farmer that goes out to sow a seed. And he was using real life examples to show us how we need to take care of our lives. Farming takes time. It takes work. It takes a commitment. doesn't matter if it's raining or it's sunny. A farmer is getting some work done. And it's the same in marriage. It doesn't matter if everything's good or some things are difficult. It takes some work. You know, people are going to go through some things. But what needs to stay the same is this connection with my spouse. That as life goes up and down, our relationship stays consistent. If you neglect a relationship, it's just like neglecting your garden. Weeds will start to grow. Certain things will overrun it. And eventually everything you planted will start to die. What, what God has planted in your life recently, are you tending to it? Like what he's shown you and what he has revealed to you, is it just like you get a word from him and you're like, okay, I'm good. Or do you get a message from him and say, okay, I need to tend to that. I need to add some water into that. I need to speak some life into that. You know, I'm just not going to acknowledge that my child has a problem. I'm going to start speaking life over my child. And I'm going to start saying, you will get an A next time. You won't be a statistic. God is for you. And instead of just letting it happen, we have to be people that tend to who God is and what he's revealed to us. So relationships are environments they need to be cultivated. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse three. Watch this. It says, he told them many things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow. And Jesus goes on and tells this parable about how some seeds that he sowed fell along the path. Some seeds fell along rocky ground. And some seeds fell among thorns. And he starts telling the story about if you, someone goes out to sow seeds, there's different types of places the seeds will land. There's, there's four types of places seeds will land, okay? There is rocky ground, there is the path, there is the thorns, but then there's good soil. And when a seed gets sown into good soil, that's when it starts to grow. It's the same in our spiritual lives. God wants to sow seeds into us every time we come to church. He wants to plant a dream in your life. He wants to plant some wisdom in your life. He wants to give you a step to take. But if the soil of our lives isn't ready, receive it. There's, you don't blame the sower. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, don't blame the sower. 
My job is to make sure my soil is right so that when God speaks, I'm ready to receive it. Now, how many know when a seed is sown, it doesn't grow right away? <laughs> it takes time. It takes effort, but it's an incredible thing. It's the same in our relationships. Most people think, especially in dating, like Christian dating, that, uh, you know, you're supposed to come to church and, like, the next person you date, like, you need to marry. And it's like, well, yeah, we want you to get married, but sometimes there's so much pressure in, in dating as a Christian that we forget about seeds being sown. Okay, Randy and I hung out in public with other people for about a year, and there were seeds that were sown in there. It wasn't like, okay, are you ready to get married now? Because I like you. Single people, let me help you out. The easiest way to lose something good is to say something weird. Hey, I know we've been friends for like three weeks, but I think I want to marry you. I believe it can happen, y'all. I don't want to sound like one of those pastors, but like at the same time, I think sometimes we have to recognize it's like harvesting. It, it, you have to sow it. You have to water it. You have to tend to it. You have to have some other inputs about it. You can't just speak it and get it. There has to be something in you that says it's going to take time. Yeah, getting married takes time. Having a healthy relationship takes time. Having healthy friends takes time. But it's a good thing when we do it God's way. Proverbs 18 says this, speaking of marriage, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Someone say good thing. If she's, you know, if you really like her, she's a good thing. But the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So there's two things I need to address. Three things, really, but two from this verse. One, men, it seems as if the Bible says it's our responsibility to seek out the woman that God has for us. It, it, ladies, that means you don't need to go looking for a man. You just need to be ready when you're found. Amen. Okay? Hear me, young people. God will bring the right person when you're at the right place. But if we go looking for the right person and we're not at the right place, we'll be unprepared when we find them. So he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Watch this, and obtains favor from the Lord. I was with some friends recently and a couple came to meet us and you know, we were just talking and, and I was like, oh, this is your wife, nice to meet you. And, and the guy goes, oh, no, no, that's not my wife. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, we've been married like, you know, we're not getting married. He's like, we, we've been together like three years. I was like, oh, that's, I was like, that's cool. And I said, well, I have two questions to ask you. And he goes, go ahead. I go, do you, do, are you embarrassed for her to bear your last name? And he was like, no. And I go, well, do you not want the blessings of God on your life? Because it seems as if marriage in our culture has become less and less because it's all about me. But when marriage is about God, all of a sudden, the strength and the grace and the favor from God and the blessings of God is available. I've seen this time and time again. The first couple we married in this church, they were like in their mid-50s. It was their third time getting married. They both had been married before, but they knew that God had put them together. And I told them, I was counseling them before, and I said, okay, we're gonna do it in six months, and I want you guys to stop sleeping together until you get to the marriage. Hello, yes. I'm young, but hello, I got an old soul, somebody. Okay? I said, I want you to stop sleeping together until you get to the marriage. And they're like, well, we've already been sleeping together. I, I know, but trust me. If you hold off on one thing, God is going to bless that day. Six months they waited. We get to their wedding day. They're both in tears. He grabs the microphone. He talks about Jesus. She gets up, talks about her vow to God. 
And if you were to meet that couple the day after they got married, it was like a new grace on them because they had trusted that the way God aligned it and designed it is the way that it should be. Right there in the scriptures, God's design for marriage is for man and woman to come together to be one. Marriage is not, you know, 50 her, 50 me. It's 100 me, 100 her. It's a commitment from both of us. And so I want to kind of tidy this up a little bit and show you four things that every healthy relationship needs. Okay, this month, we're going to be talking about relationships. And uh, particularly, I'm talking a little bit about marriage today. Randy's going to be preaching next week. And then I'm going to be doing a message on dating in a couple weeks. Um, Can I tell you the message title for this message? I'm so excited about this. It's called Haircuts and Hair Pulling. We'll be talking about Samson and Delilah. And how to make sure you don't date a Delilah. Yeah, y'all are ready for that one. Okay, healthy relationships, four things that every healthy relationships have. You can apply these to your friendships. You can apply these to your dating relationships. Ultimately, these are great points for marriage as well, okay? Four things every relationship needs to have. Number one, the first thing a relationship needs to have is rest. Huh? Rest. Rest in a sense that it's not always tense. And there's, it's not pressure. And, and it's coming from a place of love. You know, sometimes we don't even know how to fix what's broken because we can't slow down long enough to acknowledge it. Who am I preaching to this morning? Sometimes we know that there's an issue in our marriage, but we just keep going to work. We keep dealing with the kids. We keep taking them to school. We keep going to church. And we're doing everything else but sitting down and actually resting and trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Someone say Eden. Eden, that word in the Hebrew means pleasure, okay? The garden of Eden was a guarded pleasure. It was pleasure from God, but it was guarded. It says he planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. So God made the place first, and then he took the man and he put him in the place, okay? I I want you to catch this. God has the place for you. He has a marriage for you. He has a relationship for you. And it's healthy. And it's set on the right things. And it's going to bring you joy and fulfillment like you've never known before. But it's got to be him that brings you to it. Can't force your way into it. Can't speed up the process. Can't just get married, you know, to save some rent money. I mean, there has to be something that's about him bringing you into it. And it's him that's leading you to it. I'm preaching this morning, y'all. Y'all staring at me. I'm telling you, man, this is a word for somebody. Don't go after the place. Go after the one that's going to take you to the place. Don't desire, you know, I just wish I could get there. I just want to get there. If your focus is just getting there, I just want a woman already. I just want a woman, Billy. I just, give me a girl. I'm lonely. Okay, if you focus on the place, you will get there with the wrong motives. But if you say, God says, I want you, he will bring you to that place says he planted in the east a garden in Eden there he put the man whom he had formed verse 9 and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight good for food and in the midst of the garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the garden was a beautiful place pleasurable place it was a place of rest one day we will have that rest in the garden that Adam and Eve had 
one day when Jesus returns and we are all made perfect again in his sight, when we come before our maker, we will experience what they experienced in Eden. Un, unneglect, like nothing getting in the way of connection with God. Okay, we, we, we talk about spending eternity with God. But sometimes like we can't even spend an hour with him today. The Garden of Eden will be a place where you will be so filled with bliss. Okay, hear me too. You, 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 in heaven, we won't be married in heaven. Don't say amen there. Jesus was actually challenged on this in the New Testament. And they said, well, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? Like if, if, a, if a man marries a woman and then he dies and another man remarries that woman in heaven, who's married? And Jesus goes, no, we're not going to be married in heaven. There's, there's actually one marriage in heaven, and that's the church, the bride of Christ, to the bride, groom, Jesus. So, so don't, don't get too caught up, okay? Marriage is a stewardship test. It's how do you handle long-term commitment? How do you handle it to where you can do it from a place of rest? Three things you have to take the time to do while you're resting. Number one, know your spouse. Do you know the person? Do you really know them? Do you really take the time to know them too? Enjoy your spouse. My wife and I usually can guarantee we will have 10 to 20 minutes at the end of our day in bed. For some couples, this is the only chance they get to really have a conversation, whether it's the kids or it's the job or it's this or that. It's those last 20 minutes of the day. I'm going to tell you about my day. We're going to talk and we're going to laugh. And, you know, that's usually when she'll pull up TikToks and be like, I saw this today, made me think of you. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I got to show you this. It made me think of you. And like, but we enjoy each other in this moment. So I got to know your spouse. Number two, you got to enjoy your spouse. Third, probably the most important, you have to build your spouse. You have a responsibility to build up the person God has brought into your life. Okay. I mean, I think a lot of good thoughts about Randy, a lot of good thoughts, but what good is it to think something good about her, but never tell her? Like, I'm so God blessed that God's given me her, but I never tell her this. I have to build her. I have to be able to lift her up. Uh, I, I, there was a story about a preacher down south. He was in Texas, and uh, he had been given the keys to a brand-new church. 25-year-old kid. He'd been married for about five years, and uh, they had no kids at the time. But 25-year-old kid, his wife was 22, and his wife was 23. They got married when she was 18. They'd been married five years. And he gets the keys to the church, and he was so excited to start building church. He got his volunteer team together. He started having meetings at his house, started building the ministry. While he's doing that, his wife is like, hey, we're not going on dates anymore. And he's like, I know, but God's given us this church. We got to keep building this church. And then eventually they get pregnant and she has a baby. A couple years go by and he's like now traveling and speaking and like building this ministry she's got. She's at, you know, home taking care of the baby. The kids grow up. The kid's about five years old now. And this pastor comes into town and, and the young pastor is so excited he's here. He tells his wife and, you know, she's running out the house late and you know, she's got, you know, one earring on and, you know, hair's a little messed up and she's a little tired because she had to stay up all night with the kid. And they finally get to the restaurant and the pastor's sitting there with the young pastor and his wife walks in late and the pastor looks at his wife and he goes, hey, baby, hey, look, he's telling us what a great ministry. And then the young pastor looks over and, and he says, sir, what do you think about my ministry? And the older pastor looked over and he says, the church is great. And as he's doing that, his wife is barely putting on her makeup at the table, just looking. He goes, well, what do you think of my ministry? And he says, you know, your second ministry is great. And he goes, what do you mean? And he looks at the woman at the cross of the table, and he goes, behold, your first ministry. 
You were so caught up in building what God had given you that you forgot to take care of what he had already given you. And if you, if you don't see your spouse first as a gift from God, like when I'm, even when I'm fighting with Randy, we fight y'all, we human. But even, even as I'm processing a disagreement, if I don't start at the place of she's a gift from God, I will approach the disagreement so much differently. But if every time something goes wrong and I start with, wait a minute, wait a minute, God has given me to her. That changes how I steward what she's given me. We need to have rest in our lives. Psalm 127 says this, it is in vain that you rise up early and you go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Who cares if you're putting food on the table if you're always a jerk? Who cares if you're tired and stressed all the time if it doesn't lead to anything that's producing healthy fruit? Watch this, for God, he gives sleep to his beloved. That's my favorite verse right there. God wants to give you a nap. Want to take care of your wife, husbands? Tell them, hey, I'll watch that kid for an hour. Take a nap. <laughs> if you want to know what's going on in our home right now, <laughs> nap time. <laughs> it's better to have a healthy home than a bunch of stuff. I'd rather live in a small house with a healthy marriage than have all this stuff that takes me away from my wife. It's better to have peace and longevity than stress and performance. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. If you didn't come for anything, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. So how that is going will affect how you are doing. So make sure you got the right people in the mix. Proverbs 21 says this, and I'll go to the next one. It is better to live alone in the desert than with, than with a quarrelsome, <laughs> complaining wife. This is in the Bible. Don't look at me, man. I'm just a messenger. But what's the principle? It's better to be alone in a desert than have a woman that you're supposed to serve and love just quarrelsome and complaining. Well, you know, Billy, she's always complaining. Well, my question is, are you giving her something to complain about? Because, because believe me, I can complain and I can find some things wrong with my spouse and I can come to her and I can say, you know, you need to fix this. And I don't like when you're doing this. And I don't know if you've tried this, people that are married, you ever try to fix your spouse? It doesn't go very well. No, I've learned that I have to allow God to fix me. And I have to focus on, and if I want something changed in her, I start by going to God and saying, God, is there something in me? Because if we're both focused on God and connecting and changing because of him, we'll come together the right way and it'll be from a place of rest, okay? Number two, every healthy relationship needs responsibility. Every healthy relationship needs responsibility. Verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden. There it is again. He brought him to the place to work it and to keep it. So God brought him into this space and he brought him there to take care of the garden. Now, verse 18 happens before verse 25. Eve comes in the picture in verse 25. This is the command from God when Adam is by himself. Okay, so it's biblical. Before Adam ever had a girl, he had a job. Before there was a relationship, there was personal responsibility that had been demonstrated. Let me help all the people dating, okay? You will know when you're ready to date when you first have taken the personal responsibility for what you need to work on. 
But if we're chasing the relationship without the responsibility, we get to a place where it's incomplete. It says the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. I tell people it's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Well, isn't there just like the one out there for you? Like, isn't, doesn't just God have that special, that one person out there for you? And that sounds like very fairy tale. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. But he has a design for your life to become the right person. And then at one point, he will bring that person into your life that you're supposed to pursue. It, <laughs> it wasn't until I went to church, got saved, got healed of cancer, stopped doing drugs. That's when I started to pursue Randy. Are you following me? It wasn't until I connected with God, got, a, got some discipline in my life, started serving in the church, got off drugs, amen, and then started pursuing a relationship. Because what, what good is it for me to be broken and her to be broken and try to come together and say, maybe two broken people will make a whole person? That, that's, that's often the problem. We're trying to make something work with it being broken. I got to get whole first and then take that responsibility. If you're married, you have a responsibility as well. Three things to do. Number one, to affirm each other's value. When you, we have a responsibility to affirm to our spouse how valuable they are to us. Not because they work and put money, you know, get in the bank account, but like you care about them. I have a responsibility to affirm that. Every day I ask God to affirm me. So it's only right that I choose to respond and affirm to my wife. Secondly, these are the ABCs. Then I need to bear each other's burdens. So I have a responsibility when I'm in a relationship to carry what that person's carrying. And then lastly, number three, I have to communicate your own feelings. Let me help some people. I'm not trying to communicate what I think she's feeling. I have to communicate what I'm feeling. Hey, babe, when you did that, it made me feel ABCD. You know, I don't just go to her and say, you did this. I start with, hey, that made me feel ABCD. Follow me? I'll give you some more Bible here. Ephesians chapter five, I'll go through this quick as we get ready to close. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh. They nourish it and they cherish it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So in Ephesians five, Paul is quoting Genesis 2, what we started with. Continues on, verse 32. This mystery is profound. <laughs> I love this. This is the apostle of God. And he goes, this is crazy. Man and woman getting together, being one. He goes, it's profound mystery. Because I don't get it. But I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That ultimately the picture of marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. However, let each of you love his wife as he loves himself and see that the wife, that she respects her husband. Let me get this straight. Jesus's attitude towards his church is the pattern that husbands should have towards their wives. D does that make sense? So, so Jesus did a few things for the church. One, he laid his life down, but he also resurrected and came back when he was down. Husbands have the same responsibility. We lay our lives down for our families and our spouses. We, we give up things because we love that woman God's given us, but we also get up when we're down. Like we teach that it, it is man that connects with Jesus and, and he has a responsibility to lead his woman in spiritual things. Well, I don't like to pray with my wife. It's time. 
Even if it's just, can we hold hands and just, dear Jesus, thank you for this day, amen. Like some type of thing, okay? Because what Jesus did for the church is what the Bible says man should do for his wife. His attitude towards the church is how a husband should be towards his wife. Not one point when Jesus is carrying his cross up the mountain, and you all remember how he dies, right? They arrest him, they beat him, they strip him, and he's got lashes on his back, 39 lashes, and they make him carry his own cross. And as he's carrying his cross, not one point do you see him go, you know what? They're not gonna change anyway, so I'm done. You know what? They don't even appreciate what I do for them. I'm not doing this. They don't thank me enough for for what I do and, and what I bring to the table. I'm giving up. No, he lays his life down regardless. I'm not talking dysfunction. If you're in a dysfunctional relationship, that's a separate thing here. But if you are in a healthy, thriving, I wanna be with this person, I need to lay my life down. It's my responsibility. So I need rest, responsibility. Number three, gotta hurry here. I need restriction. Some boundaries, y'all. Can I preach? If I haven't already been preaching, I remember the day I got married, Randy came up on the stage and you know, I was there, my best man was there, her bridesmaids were there and, and the doors opened up and in she walked with her dad. I'm not gonna lie, I was a little nervous about her dad, but I knew the moment was coming that he was gonna let her go right there. And as she was walking down, my pastor was right there and he just started talking. And I, I was like in a daze, you know, I was like, this is incredible, I'm getting married. But I remember him distinctly saying, there's the one that God made specifically for you. Now, when she gets up on the stage, can you imagine if I'm up there waiting for her and in she walks and she gets halfway down and then the doors open again. And then one of her like ex-boyfriends walks in. And then like the doors open again and then like another guy walks in. And then like all of a sudden, like her exes are there as well. And she gets up on stage and I'm like, I wanna marry you and all these exes. You would say, that's crazy. That's not what marriage is. But, but, but is that not what we do with Jesus? We come before him and he says, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to give your life to me and I'm gonna save your life. And Jesus tells us this, but we bring all our other lovers before him too. We say, yeah, yeah, I wanna get saved, but can you also save my addiction? Can you also save my problem? Can you also save all these things that I think I can fix? And no friends, there's a restriction God puts to make sure you stay healthy and whole now. Look what verse 16 says. It says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, sure, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you eat of it, you shall die. So every man and every woman needs someone that can tell them no. We need restrictions in our marriages. It's a good thing that she's the only one for me. You know, it's a good thing that I don't go out to clubs anymore. It's a good thing I don't go do things that don't contribute to our marriage because God restricts them for a good thing. Hear me, young person, God's not trying to hold you back from having fun. Don't have sex before marriage. Well, he doesn't want me to have fun, no. Because when that moment finally comes, it's gonna be so powerful and life-changing, he's reserving it for the right person. I need rest, I need responsibility, I need restriction. Lastly, number four, I need a response. I need a response, not a reaction. I need a response. Chapter three says this, and I'm done, verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. 
is a talking snake. This is a snake that got its way into the garden and started talking. Okay, if you didn't come for anything else today, hear this, this is one liner for you. Don't talk to snakes. Don't, don't, don't talk to snakes. You know how a snake appears, just kind of slithers up. You don't even really see it coming. And then before you know, you just, you see something rattling or something. Like you see some brushes moving. Oh, what the? And it just kind of appears, okay? You can't stop the snakes from showing up, but you can determine if you respond to them or not. It says, you shall not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. What a lie. She was already made in the image of God. And here's the snake now saying, don't you want more? Hear me, marriages are going to get saved because of this right here, okay? This is what will happen. This is how affairs happen. It starts with, don't you want more? They don't appreciate you enough. They don't do as much. You know, you do all this stuff for them. And we slowly stop listening to the person God sent. And we start listening to the snake of the enemy. Your marriage, your relationship, it needs a response. When bad things happen, we respond. We say God is for us. We hold up scripture to the enemy. We tell him who he is. When things come at us and our kids go through some things, we don't sit and complain about it. We tell them we're gonna pray. We're gonna seek the face of God on this because I don't just need a reaction when things go bad. I need a response. And this morning, that's what I wanna pray for. Every marriage needs a response, not a reaction.